If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 13. So to coincide with our month of missions strategy, we are in a series called Devoted to Jesus. And this month, we're talking about the church and how we are on mission with Jesus Christ. As I was preparing for this sermon series, I was thinking about various things, and I was thinking about uh, believers and, and our spiritual lives, and I wondered, what would it be like if we were to go back in time to the first century church in Acts chapter 2? Would we fit in as believers, just as we are, in our spiritual condition right now? Would the first century Christians perceive us to be strong in faith? Or would we be totally like off the mark? Two weeks ago, we, we looked at the backstory of the first century church and, and we saw how it all began with Jesus and the apostles and then we saw the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And as you can see in your outline, the book of Acts tells us the story of the first century church. It didn't begin as an institution. It began as a movement. In other words, there was no Bible, there was no pastors, there was no band, there was no building, there was no HVAC. Some of you remember when there was no HVAC in church. There was no Sunday school curriculum. They didn't have any of that stuff. But what they did have is each other. The church was a gathering of people. We talked about this, how the Greek word for the church is ekklesia, and it just means a gathering. The church was a gathering. It was a movement of God. It was not an institution with nonprofit statuses and 501c3s and all the stuff that we have to deal with today. We talked about how the early church had a simple message. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross, rose again on the third day. He's coming back for us again. Amen? There were witnesses to this very resurrection of Jesus, and many of them experienced what he did and then saw when he came back. There was amazement of, of the work of God, and they were there when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And so in the midst of all this, the New Testament church began. We also talked about how they had an expanding mission. At the very time of Pentecost, the believers in the early church had no idea that the gospel would come to Fair Oaks, California. But the gospel's plan has been, is, and always will be to go to the ends of the earth. And they also had a serious devotion to Jesus, a serious commitment to the mission of Christ, and we see this throughout the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about how to grow as a disciple, and today, as you see in your outline, we're going to look at how to connect with others. How do we build the kind of koinonia, the fellowship, the community that Jesus desires for his people to have. A few years back, Harvard Medical School did some research and they found that the two most powerful and meaningful experiences in life are number one, achieving, and number two, connecting. And here's what they found, is that the vast majority of people fit one of these categories. 
In other words, what you spend the majority of your time and energy investing into, achieving or connecting. Achieving has to do with our accomplishments, winning contests, pursuing career success, financial milestones, and reaching goals and so forth. Connecting has to do with our relational world. The relationships that we have between people that we're close with and those whom we love. And now this isn't going to surprise anybody, but, but what they found out is that in our American culture, the vast majority of people spend most of their time and energy pursuing achievement, not in connecting. Now, how many of you remember a day when you could know every single neighbor on your street? You knew them by name. You knew everything about them and their entire family. You remember that? All right. And in fact, they knew everything about yours. Right? I can remember before uh, I would get home from, I'd be playing down the street, four houses down. Before I got home, the lady who lived there would call my mom and tell her what I had done wrong. So before I even got home, my mom already knew, what did you do? Right, that's how it was back in those days. But in today's world, we don't even really know our neighbors. I mean, people get up, they go into their garage, they start the car, they roll up the door, they pull out, they head to work, come home, close the garage door, go back in their house. That's how, that's how it goes these days. Now, even for me, I sometimes see my neighbors outside, and when I do, I say, hey, but that's about it. Really common in our culture today. And the reason is because so many people spend the vast majority of their time and energy trying to achieve something in life. And of course, this won't shock you either, but here's what the researchers found. They found that the people who pursued achievement at the expense of connecting felt like they did not live a fulfilled life. And yet on the flip side, the people who spent more time over here in connection world actually felt a greater sense of fulfillment. Interesting how that works out. What's the conclusion? Connection is actually king, not achievement. And folks, this was a secular research project. As believers, we already know that from the very beginning of creation, God said in Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone. Translation in our world, God created us to be in community with other people, not to live in isolation. Y'all with me on that? So in the Gospels here in the book of John, less than 24 hours before Jesus would be crucified, Christ knew that the end was near. And yet he still made sure to spend relational time connecting with his disciples. So in John chapter 13, verse 1, it's in your outline, it's in your, it's in your Bibles, you can see it on the screen behind me. This is what the Gospel of John says, chapter 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and then go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, and here's the key part, he loved them to the end. And if you know the, the scriptural context here, he went on and served the evening meal and then washed his disciples' feet. Now, I've taught this story in the past in the context of servanthood. Many of us know this story in that context. But, but here's what's in this verse. Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. 
With less than 24 hours left in his earthly life, he still felt it was important to do life with these guys that he had been on mission with. So then how does this play out to our life as well? The answer, church, is this. It's important that we spend time with the people that we love. Quality time, amen? Amen. Because nothing tells people like your family and friends that you love them more than T-I-M-E. Parents, hear me. Your kids don't want stuff to make up for you being gone all the time. What they want is you. And also, a huge part as believers is we need to spend time with people that we're on mission with just like Jesus did. What this simply means is that we need to spend time with others who have similar values, similar goals, similar ideas about God, scripture, family, faith, and life as we do. Because this world, here's the reason why, this world offers very little to us in the way of encouragement about following the Lord Jesus. And just so it becomes really important and downright crucial that we as believers spend time with God's people. And we see this in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. If you would, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2 with me now. We're going to look at verse 42. It's in your outline. It'll be on the screens as well. Acts 2.42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see how they did all this stuff together, church? They were doing life with each other. The same thing is true with us. We have the corporate worship event this every Sunday, but we also have smaller groups where we're to do life Together. And folks, I cannot overstate how important it is for each one of us to be in a small group for our personal spiritual growth as a believer in Christ. The truth is, now I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but I'll be the one, okay? The truth is, if you're thinking that you're going to become a fully devoted follower of Christ outside of community and relationships with others, Hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's just not going to happen. It's not. So don't fool yourself. And the reason is because God has chosen to make this the way that things happen. He's going to develop his people inside the context of relationships between those who are on mission for him. You with me on that? Now, why is this important? It's so that we can receive the encouragement in life that we need. It's so we can give the encouragement to other people who need it. 
It's so that we can be cared for in our time of need. It's so that we can give care to those who, who need it. All of these types of things. And we actually see this, this very thing in the church in Thessalonica. So look at 1 Thessalonians with me, chapter 5, verse 11. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's teaching them, and he says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So let's look at a couple of words from this text. You see the word encouraged is underlined behind me. And it means to call near, to invite, or to invoke. Other dictionaries might say to you, to give hope to someone else. I like that. Are you down with that? To give hope to somebody? And then, and then to build up means to be a house builder, to construct, and to confirm. Now, there's a difference between having someone build you a house and you building a house, right? You can be the general contractor. You can hire all the subs. You can have it all done for you. And then you can come in and admire the finished product. Oh, look at that fireplace. Isn't it beautiful? Look at that kitchen. I picked the right shower doors. Okay, whatever your story is, you can do that. Or you can do something else, which is actually what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that you are to be the hands-on builder. You actually have the hammer in your hand. You are personally building the house. So let's apply this to church life. If you just come on Sunday at 1045 and attend the corporate worship experience, you're really not able to encourage and build up other people the way that God is intending in this text. Why is that? Well, it's because you don't really get to know people at the level that is necessary of what God is talking about. But smaller groups, though, offer you the environment to really encourage and build up others. And we call that building communities. Does that make sense, congregation? All right, good. I see your heads nodding. All right. So then the question becomes this, and you see it in your outline. How do I actually build community with other Christians? How do I do that? Well, we're going to look at three things today. And we've already established here that building community starts by actually attending a group and getting in one. So you got to get in a group, all right? Now, once you're there, what do you do? Well, in my group, what we do is we pray and eat ice cream. It's awesome. Mint chocolate chip, Rocky Road, peanut butter cup. Woohoo! Right? It's awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, we don't do that. But I'm hoping one day that we do, right? But in all seriousness, to build community with others, number one in your outline, is you need to pray for each other. This is one of the things that we're really good at here at First Baptist Church, if you're new to us. We're really good at praying for each other. Our church is such a loving and caring congregation, amen? You guys are awesome at this. Whether if it's one of our Sunday groups or one of our weekday Bible studies or any other kind of life group that we do, we pray for each other, and it's amazing to be strengthened in faith because of that. We really strive to build community this way. And you may ask, well, what do we pray for? Well, we pray for hurts, we pray for pains, we pray for finances, we pray for health stuff and, and all the things. 
I've been to many of your groups. You guys are really good at this. But I want to encourage you to take a step further today. I want to encourage you to add something to your prayer list, not only in your groups, but also in your family life, and that's this. I want you to pray for the spiritual growth of others. I haven't come across very many believers who actually know how to do this. When I've asked people over the years, often what I get is the old dazed and confused look. But hear me, friends. The New Testament is filled with people praying for spiritual growth of others. And I think that there's value when we do this. And I think that there's value when we pray the way that the verse actually reads. How it's put in scripture. Not that your words and my words aren't great, because they are. Right? I just think that God's words are even better. So here's a couple examples. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. You see it in your notes there. It says this, may the God of hope fill you, and right here, you just fill in whosoever name it is, Bob, John, Sally, Susie, Barney, whoever, right? You just fill it in. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, catch this, congregation. You see right there, joy and And peace. Could anybody in here use that this morning? I know so. I can too. Here's another one. Ephesians 1 verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, and here you can fill in the name again, may give the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Do you know anybody in your life who could use wisdom? Yes? How about this? You ever had a decision that needed to be made with God's help? A medical issue or whatever it is? Of course you have. Do you know anybody who could use some revelation in their life? That that they might come to the point where they can see clearly about a certain issue? And it goes on to say, so that you may know him better. That's good stuff there, congregation. And so so when we have family or friends or people in our small group that are in need, they need direction, they need wisdom, they need peace or joy and all these things, we pray this verse and we insert their name into this place. Y'all with me so far? Here's another one, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts. You know anybody who could use some direction in their life? May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Or this could be said a different way, into Christ's patience. You know anybody who could use patience in their life? How about the patience of Jesus, right? Anybody know that? Yeah, the truth is, is all of us can. All three of these verses are very practical for us. So in order to build community, what do we need to do? We need to pray for each other. Not just health matters, but that, and that's important. But also, we pray for spiritual growth. Amen? All right, good. Now, number two in your outline. We also need to be authentic with each other. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Some people might say we need to be real with each other. 
Now, just a side note, and I know that a lot of you feel this way too, but nothing drives me crazier as a Christian, much less a pastor, than believers who refuse to be authentic with other people. You know what I'm talking about? The folks who fake it, right? They try to paint a picture that their life is all that and a bag of chips. It's like, do you really think that none of us see what's going on? Because we all see what's going on, don't we? We do. Because here's the reality. We're all fellow strugglers. We live in a broken world full of broken people. We say things that broken people say. We do things that broken people do. We come from broken parents. And parents, if you have kids, I've got news for you. They're broken too. We're all sinners, right? That's right. And so being authentic with other believers is crucial to building community in church life. Look with me at Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Hold on right there. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and I want you to turn to your neighbor and I'm gonna say to you, confess all of your deep, dark sins to your neighbor. Go ahead, I'm gonna get a cup of coffee. Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't do that. All right. But the text here does say for us to speak truthfully to each other. And it even gives us the reason why. For we are all members of one body. Now, in case you're wondering, speaking truthfully doesn't necessarily mean sharing every deep, dark sin in your life with the people in your small group. But, have you ever had doubt in your life? You could share that in your group. Have you ever felt lonely? How about isolated, depressed, discouraged? You ever had any anxiety? You could share that in your group. Being authentic means being authentic about the struggles that you experience as a human being. It shows everybody in your group that you are normal. And there are two benefits. You see it in your outline with me today when you're authentic. Letter A is there's emotional healing from pain that takes place. This is huge for so many people, you guys. James chapter five, verse 16 says this. Now, I didn't make this stuff up. This comes from the Bible, all right? It says, therefore, confess your sins to who? Each other, not the pastor, not the Catholic priest. And in this case, God says not even him, but to each other. And pray for each other. And here's the reason why, right here. So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now there's a difference between forgiveness of sin and emotional healing. When you need to confess sin, yes, go straight to God. You don't need to call me up. You don't need to call up your best friend. Just go straight to God. He's the one that you need to talk to. But this verse isn't talking about forgiveness of sin. This verse is talking about emotional healing. And emotional healing takes place when we're, number one, 
honest with ourselves about what we're struggling with. And when we share those struggles with somebody else that we know we can trust. This doesn't mean share with the whole world. You understand what I'm saying here? Okay, I mean, you can, but why would you? It's probably better if you just share with an individual or two whom you trust, who are spiritually mature, people who can process with you and help you navigate with what it is that you're struggling with. Folks, you gotta understand, this is scripture. It's not me, I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up, right? Because where there's authenticity, where there's transparency in our life with other believers, we experience emotional healing. Second major benefit that you get from this kind of humility is letter B in your outline, is you will experience power from God that will lift you up. Could you use that in your life today? God's power lifting you up? Well, look what the text says, James chapter four, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Part of being honest with God is being honest with yourself. Part of being honest with yourself is being honest with the people who care about you. In fact, one of the the first things that you do in any 12-step program, whether it be Christian or not, is, hi, my name's Wayne, and I have this problem. That's been the case for a lot of you. You just have to have this sense of honesty in order for that humility to take place. And when we're honest with God, the scripture says, that he will lift you up. Interesting, four verses earlier in James 4, verse six, it says this, but he gives grace, I'm sorry, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud. Now stop right there for a second. What does that mean? Well, God opposes the people who believe that they can do it all on their own. Because the moment that you say, I can do this all on my own and make it and overcome it and all that kind of stuff, listen to me, church, it's not gonna happen. But when you have humility, scripture says God will raise you up. It says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Now, what's grace? We could talk about this for hours, But grace is the unmerited favor of God. And it's working in your life for whose benefit? Yours. Grace is the driving work of the Holy Spirit happening in your life. And here's the big word that we talked about last week, causing sanctification. Right, you're with me on that? Sanctification. Sanctification happening in you. Now, what is that? That's growing in the knowledge and understanding of God. Here it is, everybody. All positive spiritual change happening in your life from one day to the next is all because of the grace of God. Okay. So if you need things to change in your life, if you need emotional healing or whatever it is, what is it that you need? You need God's grace. So how do you get it, you might be asking. That's the question I'd be asking. So according to scripture, it's by being authentic and being humble. With God, 
with yourself and with other people. Y'all with me so far? Okay. When you do that, the blessing that you're going to find is that you are not alone. You may find somebody else who's gone through a similar struggle. And they'll be even able to equip you and get you a resource or something or help you overcome what it is you've been struggling with. Honesty always draws in people. You're going to have stronger relationships because of your openness. Much better than you ever will be with distance. Now, it's not going to solve your problem. That's true. It's not. But it's going to help you realize that you're normal. And I know that many of you could use that sense in your life. So how do we build community with others? We pray for others. We're being authentic with other people. And number three in your outline, we need, I need to encourage others to grow spiritually. If you think about physical fitness, we all tend to do better with it when we have a workout partner or a coach or something of that effect. Anybody who can help us to stay encouraged in our commitment. And growing spiritually is a commitment. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul encourages all of us to grow spiritually. Look at it with me, starting in verse 7. He says this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Now let me stop right there. What does that mean? Well, here's what Paul's doing. Paul's being a little bit sarcastic here with the, with the, with the audience. He's talking to a group of people who were all about following the local philosophers of the time. The local philosophers were the smartest people in the room who would stand up and start to pontificate about all the stuff that they thought they knew. And so Paul's kind of giving them a backhanded smack to following those guys. Because, see, you got to understand that the local philosophers of the day would often talk down about the common folks. They, the common folks were less educated, and, and, and so they would just talk down to them. Very similar to our political landscape today. People who hold political offices and position of power, they often think more highly of themselves than they ought to compared to us, the citizenry, right? So it's the same thing back then that it is today. And so Paul says, have nothing to do with their myths. But rather, I like this, he says, train yourself to be godly. And this word godly here is connected to the word godliness that we're going to see in verse 8. And it's the idea of being passionate and preoccupied with the things of God. Now keep in mind something here, everybody. In the culture of that day, exercise was very prominent. Physical training was normal. Every city had a gymnasium. Every male ages 15 to 18 was required by law to work out and be physically fit and ready for military duty. And so Paul wanted to bring this concept of the dedication that some of these folks have for working out full circle into growing spiritually to pursue having the mind and attitude of Christ Jesus and to be devoted to Christ Jesus. And now verse eight. For physical training is of some value. Sure, we understand that, right? Some of us go to the gym and whatever. But godliness has value for all things. Yeah, he's not knocking, working out. It has value. But he's emphasizing that living for Christ is far more important than anything else that we do. It has value for all things. What's all things, church? All things. 
Scripture goes on to say, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Friends, the number one reason people give us here at the church for not getting involved in a group is I don't have time. And the second is just like it. It's too early to come to church at 9.15 on Sunday. Well, currently we're addressing this by designing a new life group program that we're going to roll out in 2024. Completely designed to help you do exactly what scripture says to do. To build community and connect with other people. It'll be a way to hopefully address something that fits your schedule so you be looking for it next year. And if you're someone who looks at your schedule and if you're somebody who says, Pastor Wayne, I just don't have time. Well, I go back to that Harvard study and I ask you, what are you investing in? Achievement or connection? Because the truth is, whatever you're investing your time in has some value. Just like physical training, it does. But when you invest your time into godliness, Scripture says it's valuable for everything in your life. For those of you who knew I was a youth pastor for 24 years, I used to tell parents all the time, you know, you could teach your son to throw a curveball, and there's some value in that. But if you teach him and model for him and show him how to fall in love with Jesus and help him to build a spiritual foundation in his life, it will have eternal value for his entire life. So as we close today, my question to you is, what do you invest in your time in? Achievement or connection? And I just want to encourage you, don't miss out on the importance of connection. Don't miss out on the importance of building community in the body of Christ, of doing life together with people who care for you and want to encourage you to grow spiritually. So if you're not in a group, we have some open groups that meet weekly, many of them on Sunday morning at 9.15, and that meets right before this session. We'd like to invite you to get involved, to take the next step. Just make the decision to show up. Because investing in community and investing in the connection and investing into godliness has eternal value for your life. So brothers and sisters, take the next step. Move beyond just showing up to the large group environment in here. It's good for you. It's good for you. This environment's good for you, no doubt. But there's so much more that you need in order to grow into the image of God that he wants for you. You see, the New Testament church, they understood this. They got it. They went, did large group, and then they did small group. So I just encourage you this morning, as you leave today, take the next step. Seek God. Worship with the ecclesia regularly, each and every week. We're here. But build community together, koinonia, with the ecclesia as well. As you see in your outline, when we seek God, when we build community, and when we unleash compassion, we are on mission with Jesus. First Baptist Church of Fair Oaks, let's be devoted to Jesus. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me this morning. Father, as we close our service today, God, we just, we want
want to honor you. We want to give you the glory. We want to give you all the praise. God, our, our prayer is that our priorities will be evaluated in our life. God, we want to ask you to give us the wisdom and the revelation that we need to think through our schedules, to think through our priorities. God, we want to honor you in that. God, we pray that you help us to be bold enough to remove whatever obstacle is in front of us, the things that we're chasing in achievement, the things that are getting in the way of us growing in faith with you. God, that's our prayer this morning. We want to honor you first and foremost in our life. Your word says to have no idols in front of you, God, so we're asking you to show us what those are and for us to get honest and authentic with ourselves about it. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every person watching us online, Lord, that we would be absolutely honest about that. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can come to you and connect with you through the relationships that we have with other people. And congregation, if you're here this morning and you've never connected with Jesus to be his disciple, we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. You may be sitting here going, I, I, I'm not connected with other Christians. I'm not connected with Jesus. I'm, I'm wavering in life. I'm lost, and I want to find the way home. Coming home is to Jesus. So today's the day where we're giving you an invitation to do that. We'd love for you to step out in faith today to come to Christ. And it just begins by admitting that you're a sinner and believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, just like the early church did. And the Bible says that if you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, Lord, I pray that that you will that you will just be with us today. It's in Christ's name that we pray this morning. Amen.